Last week's sermon's still here. Maybe I could just go with that again, eh? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. And what a privilege it is to gather here like this today. I know we don't often you know, naturally kind of come into church thinking that, but it really is, isn't it, to be able to focus our hearts, which are kind of often all over the shop, and our minds, which are distracted, to be able to focus both our hearts and our minds on the one who is worthy and to praise his name and to have God himself actually address us through his word. Isn't that astonishing? That's what, that's what happens as we meet week by week like this. Um, this morning we're kicking off a three-week mini-series on the Great Commission and it's our prayer as we do that, as we work our way through it, yes, three weeks on, I think it's four verses, um, that God will speak into our lives in a couple of key ways. One, that he will settle our hearts as we live in a world that seems like it's spinning out of control. That would be good, wouldn't it, if God did that for us through this mini-series? Secondly, that he would sharpen the focus and direction of our lives personally through it, that it would be a kind of a recalibration, reorientation time, and that he would strengthen our unity as his people here at GBC in the work of the gospel together. So I'm going to ask you to open in your Bibles, not to Matthew 28 just yet, but to Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read a couple of verses from there, and then we're going to head into Matthew's gospel and chapter 28. So Daniel chapter 7, it'll be on the screen uh, if you'd rather just flip to Matthew 28 and wait till we get um, And we're going to be coming back to it during our time this morning. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Daniel in his vision says this, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given a kingdom, sorry, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. Now over to Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. 
and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are glorious things that we're looking at. And so we need the help of God's Spirit to grasp them and see their implications. Why don't we pray together before we dive in? Father, thank you so much that we can come and have you address us directly by your word in the power of your spirit for our good and for your glory. And so we pray that you would do that this morning, that we would be receptive to what you're saying to us in your word, that we would humble ourselves before your word and that we would joyfully respond to it. Please be at work among us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a few weeks ago on our recent long service trip, I was reminded of the importance of purpose in our lives. The importance of purpose in our lives. I came to the conclusion that to travel perpetually was something that seemed purposeless after about eight weeks. That was kind of about as far as I could go uh, before this started to kind of you know, become quite stark for me. Concluding that it wasn't, as I said before, living the dream, despite what our culture says and constantly proclaims. I was reminded that there has to be something more, something greater to live for, something more profound, something more glorious, something that gets you out of bed every day. A purpose that, yeah, no matter what your circumstances are, puts a bit of a spring in your step and joy in your heart. There must be something greater. And the great thing is this, there is, and God has revealed it to us, hasn't he? In his word and particularly in his son. The Great Commission is one key place where God has made this purpose known to us and revealed it to us. But did you notice it doesn't start with the purpose or the task? For those of you who are task-orientated, more task-orientated than maybe people-orientated, you're going to have to wait, maybe till next week. It actually starts with a person. It starts with the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. And I want to suggest to you, if you don't get that right at the beginning of the Great Commission, you will never grasp this purpose. 
let alone do it. So today we're going to spend our time in God's word thinking about the person. Thinking about the risen and the reigning Lord Jesus, the one who is at the centre of it all. And I want us to see two key things about him. None of them are rocket science, but they're easily forgotten and we need them front and centre in our lives. And the first one is this. Jesus is the sovereign king over everything and everyone. Do you get that? Jesus is the sovereign king over everything and everyone. Because if you think about it for a minute, and guys, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm like you. We just brush over the Great Commission pretty quickly. You know, we're kind of finishing the end of Matthew. It's 28 chapters. It's quite a long gospel. And we've got to the end and we're kind of ready to, you know, maybe kick off into our next book of the Bible. And we, we don't slow down and dive in perhaps as much as we ought to. What Jesus actually says here is absolutely remarkable, right? No one else can authentically make such a claim. What is the claim? Verse 19, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth, that is the cosmos or everything there is, has been given to me. That is monumental. I mean, think about it. If anyone else made such a claim, what would we conclude? We conclude, that's, for, that's ludicrous for you to say that. Maybe one of our politicians or our sports stars or our community leaders or our world leaders, if they got up and said, you know, on live stream, all authority in heaven and on earth is now mine, we'd go, oh, I think they're losing it. Maybe they have had or they're in the midst of having a breakdown and they need help to make such a claim. But that's precisely what Jesus claims to be true of him. Let me read it again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The disciples who were hearing this had some context, didn't they? Jesus had been crucified not long ago on a Roman cross and then buried in the tomb for three days. But as the women discovered through the angel of the Lord that appeared and then followed by the disciples, he had been raised to life. He literally appeared to them. And do you notice what their response was when they saw him? the one who is actually sovereign over everything and everyone, what do do we notice? Well, in verse 9, we're told Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They worshipped him, which means they attributed divinity to him, godness to him at least to some extent. And in verse 16 and 17, it kind of happens again. Jesus comes and speaks to them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, although some doubted. Some were kind of still coming to terms with who he is, and, and that's kind of, you know, off happens for lots of us, right? 
we see how who Jesus is and then, you know, over time we see even clearer and we're like, oh my goodness, he's that great as well. And then a bit further on, we, as we grow, we're like, oh, he's even bigger than I thought. Well, some doubted and they were still on that process. The disciples also at this point were no doubt starting to join the prophetic dots, if you like, connecting with what God had said through his prophets back then in the past with what they are seeing and hearing now in the present and especially Daniel 7 where we read from earlier. They were familiar with Daniel 7. He had a vision. There it is. We read it earlier. He saw in the night visions and he saw the clouds of heaven with the clouds coming, a son of man, and he comes to the Ancient of Days and was presented for him, and to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will, shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see what we, what we have here in this vision? We have, we have firstly a window, if you like, into the very throne room of heaven of Almighty God, which is the place of all authority in heaven and earth, right? We've got a window into the throne room of the sovereign God. Uh, if it's not clear here, it's clearer, even more clearer, a few verses back in verse 9, Daniel keeps describing what he's seeing in his vision. And he says, Thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames its wheels were burning with fire a stream of fire issued and came out from before him a thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him and the court sat in judgment and the books were open this is the very throne of heaven isn't it and God is sitting on the throne the ancient of days God the father the books are open there are thousands upon thousands of angelic beings around him and many serving him as well and Daniel has this vision and then with the clouds of heaven comes one like a son of man a human yet divine figure now we know who the Ancient of Days is from the Old Testament. It's, it's God the Father, Almighty God himself. And we know who the Son of Man is, right? That's the term Jesus uses for himself to avoid people kind of putting him in their messianic pigeonhole and, and revealing that he is the Messiah promised. And so Jesus the Messiah has come, as it were, to the Father having triumphed over sin and death and hell through his cross and through his resurrection. And he has given then the kingdom, a kingdom of glory and authority that is both indestructible and eternal. And what will the focus of that kingdom be? What will this kingdom be about? It'll be about the eternal worship of and delight in King Jesus. From all peoples, nations, and languages. Come back to our passage today. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, the Messiah, has been given this kingdom and it is to extend. It is to fan out. It is to go as far as the nations are. It is to reach the world so that people from every tribe, nation, language and tongue may come and find their place in his eternal kingdom. And so we see it so clearly, don't we? At the centre of God's glorious purpose for his world and therefore God's glorious purpose for us is a person, the risen and the reigning Lord Jesus who is the sovereign king over everything and everyone. I don't know if you're aware, but the big meeting took place this week. The big meeting, the meeting between President Xi of China and President Biden of A. And again and again, as they often are, they were described as the leaders of two great superpowers. And the eyes of the world watched intently as they met, hoping desperately for a good outcome. And rightly so. As followers of Jesus, we're called to pray for our world leaders like we did this morning. For good outcomes. But note, friends, we don't ultimately pin our hopes on them to bring order to this world of chaos. We hope there are good outcomes. We hope evil is restrained. We ask for that. We pray for that. But ultimately, a final fix is not going to come from them. It's going to come from the sovereign king who is ruler over everything and everyone. Only he can bring the chaos of this world into order as he brings in a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. We look to him, our King Jesus, the sovereign king over everything and everyone. And so as we sit here this morning as we, as we uh, live our lives in the milieu of our culture and the media coming at us from every direction, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the sovereign king over everything and over everyone, including you? Amen. Do you really believe that? Because if we believe that, that will radically change our lives. It will do a number of things. It will settle our hearts and calm our fears in this chaotic world, even, even in, amidst, in amongst it all, it will settle your heart and calm your fears. Not that you become complacent, 
Secondly, it will captivate your heart if you believe that he is the sovereign Lord who just a few chapters earlier than we're in today laid down his life for you. See, the cross becomes all the more glorious when we see the true identity of the one who went there. It's not just a man on a cross. It is. But it's the God-man, the sovereign one, the one we've sinned against, the one whose rule we have refused so we can run our own lives ourselves. He's the one who went to the cross. And when we see that, I don't know about you, but our hearts will be captivated. Do you believe that this King Jesus triumphed over sin and death and hell for you and for me? It will also recalibrate our lives into or away from our purposes that we come up with into his glorious and eternal purposes. The purposes of his kingdom, which has come but has not yet fully come, which has, been, uh, which has begun but is not established. We're in this in-between time where the king has come but the king has not returned And in here, his kingdom is to be growing and spreading and being established. And more people are being meant to be added into it. The kingdom is to grow one person at a time, if you like, as the gospel is proclaimed and people respond in repentance and faith. Not everyone, but some. When we see this, it ought to recalibrate our lives around that. And it ought to shape our worship as we joyfully live in this reality that he is Lord of all we are and all we have. And so our response to him is not, oh, I wonder if I'll worship today. Oh, do I feel like I'm in the mood? I wonder if I'll, I'll uh, you know, serve him today. I wonder if I'm going to be generous today. No, no, when we see this, it's like he is the Lord of all we are and the Lord of all we have. So it makes perfect sense that I would give myself to whatever his purposes are. In fact, it's, a, it's, it's an oxymoron to not, isn't it? If he's Lord of all I am and all I have, for me to withhold that then from him, what is that? He's the sovereign king over everything and everyone, including me and including you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? I don't know, about, I don't know who you want to be in charge of your life. I'm pretty sure at 57 I'm beginning to work it out that I don't want it to be me. And I don't want it to be Xi. And I don't want it to be Biden. To be Jesus. Easier said than done, though, right? 
Well, maybe you're asking the obvious question as you see Jesus' claim here of having all authority in heaven and on earth. The obvious question that arises goes something like this. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, then why is the world still such a mess? Why doesn't he do something about it? Which brings us to the second point. Jesus is the suffering king who saves all who will receive him. And I want us just, just to touch on two things about this. Firstly, the priority of the cross. The priority of the cross. In Matthew 20, 27 to 28, Jesus says these words. I think I've gone too I've missed a slide. There it is. Matthew 20, 27 to 28, just a couple of chapters earlier. He's teaching his disciples about greatness and what it actually looks like. And he says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even, here it is, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, hang on a minute, he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he should be served or worshipped. He didn't come for that the first time. What did he come to do? To give his life as a ransom for many. Did he not have any authority back then? Yes, he did. But this is how he expressed his authority. By giving his life as a ransom for many. As a purchase price to free us from the power and the penalty of our sins. He didn't come first and foremost to be served, although he is without question worthy. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we see is that in his program, the work of the cross takes priority over everything else. The work of the cross takes priority over everything else. Because it, may, it is the means by which he will save the world that is in such a mess. It's where he suffers for the world in order to one day rid the world of all suffering. It's here we see, according to Jesus, what our greatest need is, don't we? What do you think it is? Is it for, you know stable economy, stable culture, peace in Australia. Is that our greatest need? These are needs. What's our greatest need? Well, according to Jesus' program, it's the forgiveness of our sins. I don't even remember the story where the to where the friends bring the paralytic to Jesus and they kind of come to the, the place and it's packed out so they, they don't give up. They're up on the roof, flat roof in, in, uh, in Jesus' day and they dug through the thatch and they lowered down their, their friend on a, on a bed. He's paralysed, he can't walk. His needs are painfully obvious to everyone concerned and his friends are commended for their love and their commitment to their friend in getting him before Jesus no matter what. And what does Jesus say? Son, to the man who's paralysed, your sins are forgiven. They're like, wow. 
What are his friends thinking at this point? Huh? And then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to do this, to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and get up and walk. And he does. But as Jesus looks at him, he sees a man who needs his sins forgiven. Yes, the creation needs to be restored. Yes, there needs to be full and final healing. But the priority is forgiveness before the restoration of all things. So the priority of the cross shows us how Jesus expresses his authority and sovereignty. And the second thing is the amnesty of his justice. And we see that in 2 Peter uh, 3. Peter's encouraging his readers to live in the light of the coming day of the Lord, the great day when God will judge the world in righteousness through the man he has appointed, namely Jesus. Why does he need to encourage them? Well, because people are scoffing at the idea. (laughs) People are mocking that the day of the Lord will ever come at all. They're saying things continue as they always have and nothing ever happens, so what are you guys on about? Your God can't keep his promises. People are scoffing at the idea and mocking it. You guys with your King Jesus, the world is still a mess and nothing happens. You Christians have been taken for a ride. Your faith is a waste of time. And Peter makes it clear that there is one reason why the day of the Lord, the final day, hasn't yet come. And it's there in verse 9 to 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that, but that all should, come, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do you see what the reason is? That it hasn't come yet? The ultimate reason why the world is still in a mess. It's this. Because the Lord is patient with us. He's patient with us. So that more people might be saved. So that on that great day when it comes, there might be more people who are on the right side of the justice of God. So that more people might come to repentance. You see, the day of the, of the Lord, the final day, when that comes, it will be too late. Jesus will put everything right on that day. He will judge the world in righteousness on that day. But when that day comes, the day of salvation will have passed. And friends, this again is where we see that Jesus is the suffering king. The Lord is patient. Can also be translated, and I have a personal preference for this translation. I hope I can show you why. It can be translated long-suffering. The Lord is long-suffering towards us. 
In other words, the Lord suffers long towards us. What's that about? It reveals something really significant that helps us make sense of things. What it means is this. Every day that Jesus holds history open and extends the day of salvation, he suffers. He suffers. He sees everything in this world with absolute perfect clarity. And the cries for justice come deeper from him than from anyone else who has ever lived. But his desire for more people to be saved, for more grace to go to more people and more glory to go to God, means that he holds back the day of the Lord and holds history open for that to happen. He is long-suffering towards us, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I, for one, am glad that he was long-suffering until 1989 when I came to repentance. What year did you become a Christian? When did you come to repentance? Aren't you glad he held history open until that day? Because one day, as Peter tells us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We won't be expecting it. And it'll come. And the day of salvation will have passed. But today, at least now, right this minute, I don't know about this afternoon, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. Today is a day of salvation. So if you haven't seen that Jesus is the sovereign king over everyone and everything and that he is the suffering king who saves all who will come to him and you want to come to him today, then I would urge you, I would plead with you because he is long-suffering towards you that you might repent. You might come and be part of his kingdom and experience his grace and the forgiveness of your sins and Know him for eternity. Have you done that? Has that happened for you? I, I, don't, I don't mean if you've seen, you know, oh, Jesus, yeah, it's nice, the cross and what he did for me, it's nice, I kind of like the idea. Yeah, maybe I'll go to church. I don't mean that. I mean, have you bowed the knee to King Jesus who died on a cross for you and said, I'm sorry, Lord, that I've not acknowledged who you are up until this point in my life. I've lived as if you didn't even exist. I'm so grateful that you would hold history open and in part of that history that you would lay down your life for me. Please forgive me. Please, please come and reign in my life from this day on that I might be part of your kingdom that I might delight in you and worship you from here on. I 
don't know whether you remember when we had our big amnesty in Australia. There was the shooting, mass shooting in Port Arthur. And uh, the government of the day brought amnesty for high-powered weapons. Not everyone was happy about it, but they did. And there was a period of time, I can't remember how long it was, I didn't have a weapon so I didn't need to find out. Um, but there was a period of time where you weren't going to be charged if you possessed one of those weapons, if you just brought it in and handed it in. But there was a point where the amnesty finished and it was suddenly judgment if you did that. What we see here in the life of Jesus is God's amnesty for sinners. It's a time of amnesty where you can come and come to know the God who loves you and laid down his life for you. Yes, he will put this world right one day. His justice will be expressed perfectly one day. But don't take that. Don't take the fact that it hasn't happened yet to feel your kind of disbelief that, ah, I can just do what I want and it doesn't matter. I take it as God's patience and God's kindness towards you and towards others. So I want to encourage us to do two things as we conclude this morning. They're not up there. I'm just going back to that picture. I want to encourage you today to rejoice in the sovereign king who suffered for you. I reckon that's a great thing for us to do. To rejoice in him. The king who suffered on the cross to meet your, yours and my greatest need. And not only did he do that, he suffered long so that you might know him and have time to repent, to turn to him and turn from living life your own way and to put your trust in him. I want to encourage us to rejoice in the sovereign king who suffered for us today. But also I want to push it out and encourage us to respond to the sovereign king who suffered not just for us but for others who suffered on the cross to meet their greatest need, whether they know it or not. I'm pretty sure the guy on the bed didn't know it. But then he, then he, then he knew it. I want, us to I want to encourage us to respond to the sovereign king who's long-suffering towards them, that they might be saved. And to begin to think before we get to next week and we head into the command, the commission, if you like. What might it mean for me to tell others about the amnesty, to try and make disciples? It's not easy. It's not easy in a culture and say, oh, you guys with your Jesus and coming back and all that stuff. Are you serious? It's been a couple of thousand years. What's wrong with you? 
That might be what you come up against. But you know what? Someone told you and me about it and that wasn't the response we gave, at least eventually. I love the story of Dominic Steele, who maybe you know him, maybe you don't. He's the founder or author of uh, Introducing God. He came up with the course, which we've used and I've used many times and seen people come to faith through it. It's a great course. And he tells the story in there. Of, he used to work at 2UE Radio in Sydney, big radio station, was one of the guys on there. And he worked with a mate and his mate was a Christian. Dominic wasn't a Christian. And he tells the story how his mate invited him to church. And he said, yeah, okay. I'll see you Sunday. And he didn't come. Or he didn't go. And then a little while later, his friend invited him to church again. And he said, yeah, okay, I'll see you Sunday. And he didn't go. I don't know how many times, but a few times, Dominic kept praying for him. You know, his initial response was not, yeah, I'm going to become a Christian in this next 30 seconds, was it? Right? He kept asking him kept nudging, kept talking to him, kept loving him, kept being a, a friend to him. Eventually he came. And he said was in, what was interesting for him was he came, when he came, he hadn't really started to grasp anything yet, but his workmate was standing out the front waiting for him because he said it was going to come. So he wanted to make sure that he waited for him and greeted him and came in and sat with him you know, so he didn't feel weird or strange coming to church for the, for the first time. And he, Dominic said, I, I realised at that point... This must be really important to you that I come. And then he thought, you've probably waited outside several times for me. And it was another testimony of this guy's kindness to him. And he came and he heard the gospel. I don't know how long it took, but he became a Christian. So it's a process. So I want to encourage us not to give up. If the initial response is, yeah, I'll come, but they don't come. Or even if they say, nah, not interested. Don't judge the first response. I hate to think what would have happened if the Christian farmer I work for judged the first response from me as the response that was going to be and gave up. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to we bow before you <sighs> because that's such a good thing for us to do for you are worthy. You are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are the king of God's kingdom. You are the only one who can right this world and you are the only one who can make us right with God through your atoning work on the cross as you paid the price for our sins and conquered death for us and extended grace to us that we might come and turn and put our trust in you and be saved through you and by you. Father, that your Son would do this for us, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would, would plan this and then bring it, to, bring it into reality in such a powerful way that millions upon millions of people 
have been brought into your kingdom. Even today, more are coming. So please, Lord, lift our eyes, not to the task so much, but to the one who it's all about. To the Lord Jesus, risen and reigning, and who has promised, saying to us, I am with you, even to the very end of time. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. Amen.